Good morning. I'm Don Stuber, and uh, I know there's, there's here, family here, and some of you I've known for all my life, so welcome to uh, Northfield this morning. This morning, I would like you to <clears throat> imagine in your mind, put yourself in a, in a, in a place that you get summoned to court. And you show up at the courthouse and walk into the courtroom, and the only person there is the judge. No prosecutors, no defense attorneys, no jury, no security, no order, just the judge. And the judge calls you to the bench, and he starts reciting a list of charges against you. And as you listen, you realize that, yeah, I did do that. Yeah, yeah, that was, that was right. And then he asks you, as he gets done, how do you plead? How do you plead? And you think, guilty? I did it. Do I plead not guilty? That wouldn't quite be right. And you, then you decide a third option. I'll plead excuse. Sir, your honor, I did, those, did do those things, but... In fact, your honor, you know the struggles I went through, the abuse I took. You know, you know the, the, those desires just overwhelmed me at times. You know, or my husband treated me. You know what my parents did to me. But your honor, I was a good person overall. How do you plead? Let's pray. Lord, I just thank you for your word. I thank you for this congregation. The love that they have for you and Lord, the love you have for us. Now I just pray that you would open your word to us this morning. Lord, that you would, not my words, but your words, that your spirit would shine a bright light into our hearts this morning. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, those of you that have been here the last few Sundays know that we're in a study of Romans. Uh, this morning, we will be looking at chapter 2, verses 12 through the end. If you have a pew Bible, it's found on page 940. And as been uh, mentioned in the previous messages, <clears throat> as we study Romans, the first few chapters are kind of, kind of a downer. Uh, you know, it's talking about our sin and our guilt and, 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 you know, it's just 
not the kind of message maybe that we'd like to preach. And I would, I would just say, until we take ownership of our sin, we can never truly appreciate the love and sacrifice of Jesus Christ. A little background as we last, you know, the first chapter of Romans is really dealing with uh, you might call the immoral, the, the really uh, bad sins. Last week, Brian spoke on uh, we tend to judge, and in our judging others, we tend to justify ourselves and how wrong that is. And then we go into the second half of chapter 2, and I would just kind of, some of the background here as we, as we consider uh, God's word that he get, God gave Paul to write to the Romans, you know, there's this um, underlying belief of the Jews that they were special. You know, you're born into a Jewish family, you go through all the, the rituals, uh, you identify as a, zoo, as, as a Jew, uh, as one of God's chosen people. Uh, the males were circumcised, I mean, it was right there, physical identification to being a part of, of God's nation, of God's special people. And so there was this underlying idea that being born a Jew, I'm okay, because I identify as a Jew, and if you didn't and you were a Gentile, you were guilty. So we have kind of that uh, underlying belief, and maybe you know the believers probably had a different understanding of that, but that still was, I mean, that was taught for generation after generation. And I would like to go back and actually start with verse 11. Uh, for God shows no partiality. For all who have sinned without the law will also perish without the law. And all who have sinned under the law will be judged by the law. So Paul completely dismantles this idea that you are justified by the group you identify with, by the who, way you were born into, by the, the social or the, the, the association that you are a part of. As we would continue on in chapter 3, uh, some, a very familiar verse says, 23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So we see Paul all at once taking this from the group and putting it on the individual. This whole argument that Paul, as, as we are in need of a Savior, and we are personally responsible. We are personally responsible for our sin and our rebellion against our Creator, and we are personally responsible for our response 
to his sacrifice on the cross. You see, we are not guilty, nor are we justified by whichever group we identify with. If we go on to verse 13, for it is not the hearers of the law who are righteous before God, but the doers of the law who will be justified. For when Gentiles who do not have the law by nature do what the law requires, they are a law to themselves, and even though they do not have the law, they show that the work of the law is written on their hearts, while their conscience also bears witness with their thoughts, and their conflicting thoughts accuse or even excuse them. On that day when, according to the gospel of God, according to my gospel, God judges the secrets of men by Christ Jesus. If we would also look at uh, verse 29, and we'll get to that a little bit later, it says, But a Jew is one inwardly, and circumcision is a matter of the heart by the Spirit. See, the premise was that if we do all these rituals, if we follow these laws, that's how we gain access. And if we don't, we're lost. And, and Paul is just making this argument that it's not what we do that justifies us. It's what's in our heart. You know, if we would just take this couple of verses, we could say that, well, we're, we're saved by works, right? We're saved by being good. And that's why we have to be very careful to not take passages of Scripture out of context without looking at the whole Word of God. And we will see as we look at Romans of God's salvation and, and Probably the clearest verses on that is in Ephesians chapter 2, starting with 8 and 9. It says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not of your own doing, it is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. But sometimes we, we stop there and we don't read verse 10. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So we are not saved by being good. We do good because we're saved. You know, as, God, as God's word points out, our, the secrets of our heart and the matters of our heart and Brian pointed out last week when he uh, read about uh, the verse on God's kindness leads us to repentance. And he, uh, if I remember correctly, used the term, that's our individual personal repentance for God. Taking ownership of our sin. There's a, there's a term uh, called collective salvation. 
And it's kind of idea that throughout history has kind of popped up. But actually, we see it with the, you know, Paul's arguing here against with the Jews that because they were circumcised, because they went through the ceremony and became part of the Jewish people, they were therefore justified before God. We see it uh, throughout history in the churches. We'll, we'll, a baby's born into our congregation, we'll baptize it and part of us. And then they're good to go. Being a part of any church or any organization does not bring about your salvation. I mean, obviously God has called us. His word is talks about meeting together, joining together, the body of Christ, working together. But you're not saved church or any other church. This idea, this concept of collective salvation is kind of popping up in another form today. Uh, there was a, a, a person that Heidi and I knew that was working in a, a Christian uh, organization, ministering, taking the gospel, and discipling uh, college students on campus. And this person changed organizations, and I don't know, there were just a, a few red flags that went up for me, and uh, they sent an email explaining their position. And this, this uh, new organization that they were part of uh, had a real focus on social justice. And this morning, I'm not here to commentate on the social justice movement, but here's what they said in their email. Several things have shifted my understanding as a result of the teaching and relationships I've experienced at New Community. And they go on and list some of these things and they say, Western culture has an overemphasis on individual salvation where many other cultures are far more holistic and communal in the way they come to know and follow Jesus. Let's be careful that we stand on the truth of God's word. Satan is so subtle to bring in falseness in something that looks good. We are guilty, and we need to take responsibility individually for our sin. It's not which organization we belong to that we're guilty or we're justified. All of us are guilty before God and before the judge. And you might say, and you might argue, well, God judges nations. And obviously through Scripture we see God's judgment upon nations. But that is the here and now in this life, on this earth. Many times it's even the, you might say, the, the natural results and progressions of the leadership. I know uh, 
My dad used to tell me that Brother Jake Meyer, who was an elder in this congregation many, many years ago, would tell my dad that when God wants to punish a nation, he takes away the common sense of the leadership. We, we can see that. What am I doing, Scott, that this is cutting out? <laughs> and yet, as God judged, judged the nations in the Old Testament... You know, God had judged Moab, said that there would be no Moabite allowed into the temple. And yet, Ruth was a Moabitess. And God chose her to be in the lineage of Jesus, to bring his son into the world. because of her individual faith and belief. The Canaanites, God commanded Moses, or by that time Joshua, to wipe them all out, judging them for their wickedness. And yet Rahab, in her faith and belief, put her life at risk to protect the and God chose her to be in the lineage of his son. Verse 17. But if you call yourself a Jew, and I would just like to have you consider this morning as, you, as we read this, I would like to say, but if you call yourself a Christian and rely on the laws and boast in God and know his will and approve what is excellent because you are instructed from the law, you are sure that you yourselves are a guide to the blind, a light to those who are in darkness, an instructor of the foolish, a teacher of the children, having in the law the embodiment of knowledge and truth. You then who teach others, do you not teach yourself? While you preach against stealing, do you steal? Do you say that one must not commit adultery? Do you commit adultery? You who abhor idols, do you rob temples? You who boast in the law and dishonor God by breaking the law. For as it is written, the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. You know, God is, uh, Paul here is again pointing out to those of the Jews that would consider themselves okay because of their Jewish beliefs and identity. Pointing out to them, you say all these good things, you do all these good things, you teach these good things. But do you do them? And I think... Uh, a tragic, tragic verse, 24. The name of God is blasphemed among, let's say, sinners of you. Out at church camp, we were, had a discussion 
kind of lamenting the, the fact that some of the Christian leaders and teachers that we held in esteem and followed and learned from fell by the wayside to sin. You know, throughout my life, I've had numerous men, maybe not personally, that I, that I read and learned from and listened to and respected. And sex, power, and money took them down. But what about me? What about me? Do sinners blaspheme the name of God because of my attitudes and actions? Brian mentioned on campus the greatest excuse that he finds of people rejecting the salvation of Christ is because of what the church or the Christians did to them or didn't do. You know it. Go and share the gospel with your co-workers. Oh, I went to that church. I went to church once. So I have a question for each one of us. And, and obviously, that can be a pretty empty excuse. And obviously, it is no excuse at all, as we learned in previous messages on Romans, that we all are all without excuse. Question. Does the way you live your life, does the way you present your attitudes, does it draw people to Jesus, or does it drive them away? You parents, your kids come to church and see you in church. But what about at home? Does your lives, do your relationship with your spouse, does it draw your children to Jesus? Does it say, I don't want any part of that? Verse 25 through 28. For circumcision indeed is of value if you obey the law, but if you break the law, your circumcision becomes uncircumcision. So if a man who is uncircumcised keeps the precepts of the law, Will not his uncircumcision be regarded as circumcision? Then he who is physically uncircumcised but keeps the law will condemn you who are, have the written code and circumcision but break the law. For no one is a Jew who is merely one outward, outwardly, nor is circumcision outward and physical. And again, Paul is just kind of reaffirming that you're not justified by the ceremonial law. You're not justified by going to church. You're not justified, you know, probably the common denominator we could say of our today would be 
relating baptism to circumcision. You're not saved by baptism if your heart is disobedient. If you're hardened. It's not the outward identity. Verse 29, but a Jew is one inwardly, and circumcision is a matter of the heart, by the spirit, not by the letter. His praise is not from man, but from God. It's a matter of the heart by the Spirit. And each of our hearts before God. A matter of heart to heart. I think the, one of the most poignant examples of this in Scripture is the account of King Saul and King David. Acts 13, verse 21, and this is Paul arguing again for uh, the gospel of Christ. Then they asked for a king, and God gave them Saul, the son of Kish, a man of the tribe of Benjamin, for 40 years. And when he had removed him, he raised up David to be their king, of whom he testified and said, I have found in David, the son of Jesse, a man after my heart, who will do all my will. Now, if you're familiar with the story of Saul and David, you understand that David did not do the will of God. Did not follow the will of God in all those ways he did. He committed adultery. He undermined his very soldiers. He had a man and other innocent men with him put to death. King Saul made a sacrifice to God without Samuel there. Now, who would you judge is a man after God's heart? And yet, scriptures tell us that it was David. Why? What was God's will that David followed? It was repentance. Paul ended up telling Samuel, honor me before the people. First of all, he said it was the people's fault. And then he said, honor me before the people. David repented Against you, you only, have I sinned, O Lord. That was David's prayer. So what is this heart that God is looking for that brings about 
his will, God's will in our lives. First of all, we need to pray an honest prayer. And that is, God, reveal the sin in my heart that I'm not even aware of, that I am blind to. David's prayer, O Lord, and try me, test my heart and my mind. Is that your prayer? Is that your prayer? Desire, our heart's desire, our God's will for our heart is to know God. Desire to know God. Jeremiah 29, 13, you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. You see, God desires a relationship with us. And when Christ was crucified on the cross, the veil of the temple that kept, you might say, the common people from access to God, the individual people, access from God suddenly was torn and God opened access to him through Jesus Christ to each individual person. Again, only when we tip of our sin can we appreciate the wonders of his forgiveness, his sacrifice, and his love for us. You know, that verse we read in Romans 3.23 For all, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This morning we stand guilty. We stand guilty before a holy God in ourself. But through the justification of Jesus Christ and his shed blood, as we will continue as we study Romans, the preciousness of God's love for us and his sacrifice, can we truly worship and bring honor to our Savior? Let's pray. We'll close with a song then. Lord, sometimes we can be discouraged as we read these verses in Romans. Because if we are honest with ourselves, we know we are guilty as charged. And our only plea before you is, we're guilty. Lord, have mercy. 
and in your love you have extended us mercy. Lord, this brings about a change in our lives and in our attitudes. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.